good morning. Welcome into uh, Redwood on a uh, nice fall morning. Feels like fall, doesn't it? Anybody besides me excited for the change and for fall? There's a few Jesus-loving people here this morning. That's good to see. Uh, We spent last weekend, as some of you know, uh, Jennifer and I went down to uh, uh, the L.A. area. We spent the weekend... Um, in uh, Pasadena with, with a cousin of mine, went to a football game, uh, OU and UCLA, and um, man, it was stinking hot. It was like 100 degrees on Friday and Saturday both, and uh, like I had already mentally checked out of 100-degree weather, you know, so I'm like, man, if I want that, I'll move back to Phoenix, but you know, we, we got down there and just I took one pair of shorts and a hoodie and a like long sleeve shirt because I was like, hey, this is you know the L.A. area. It's nice and 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 mild and it gets cool. Like we we had the flip of this happen one time when we lived in Phoenix. We went over to L.A. area. This will make Jim cringe because we went to Anaheim. Um, but uh, he's like, it's not L.A. See, <clears throat> right on cue. But we left Phoenix and it was like 105, 110 degrees. Drove over to the L.A. area to Anaheim. It's not L.A., but um, went to a baseball game, and it was like 70 degrees at first pitch. And by the fifth inning, we left because we were freezing in shorts and T-shirts. We learned our lesson. So this time, it was the other way around. It was a lot hotter than we expected and miserable and hot and all that good stuff. But we had a great time. Uh, Thanks to Ken for jumping up here and filling in uh, last weekend as we uh, preached through this this series called Engage. If if you're visiting with us, we've we've been in this series now. This is the, the third week of this series, Engage. And the thought behind this series is simple. It answers the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus and be a member of a church? Like, what should I be doing? You know, that, that's kind of the questions people get. Uh, you know, I, I've told you guys this before. Some of you are like me. I'm what you call a Buick, a brought-up-in-church kid. You know, so I basically spent every Sunday of my life in church. I, I, I cut my teeth on the pews of church, as kind of the old, the old uh, phrase goes. And so we were one of those, we were there three times a week, because apparently three times a week is what it takes to be holy when you grow up in church in Oklahoma. But uh, that, that's what we were at, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. Special events throughout the week. It's like if the doors were open, we were there. And so it's easy sometimes for people like me who grew up like that to just assume everybody else knows what it means to be a member of a church because we did all those things. But it very quickly uh, realizes you kind of get out of the Midwest, that's not necessarily the case. Some people come and this is the first time they've ever been here. And that's awesome. That's awesome. In fact, I'll never forget this. You have to forgive me because this is a little bit crass. Uh, I'm not going to say the whole thing here, but when, when we were in Phoenix, we were dealing with people who every single week were showing up to church for the very first time. And, and one time in particular, we're out there at a, at, a, at a first-time guest table outside the auditorium. These two guys walk out, uh, leaving church, heading out. They kind of got these smiles on their faces. We had seen them walking in. We're like, hey, what'd you guys think? And they're like, that was fill in the blank with a really harsh word, awesome. And I'm like, well, you're not wrong. <laughs> we'll work on that part later, you know. Come back, you know, glad you enjoyed it. Come on back. So, but you know, it's like, they don't know how to act. They don't know what they're supposed to do. This is the first time they've ever ever been here. And so that's kind of what the purpose of this series is all about. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Sometimes you'll hear us say a phrase like next step or taking your next step with Jesus. You're like, oh, have I even taken my first step yet? What's that mean? And so what we kind of decided was there's five steps that you need to take when it comes to getting fully engaged as a follower of Jesus, fully engaged 
with the church. Now, does this mean that, that these five steps get you everything you ever need to know? Not necessarily, but it gets you on the right path and it gets you going. And we covered the first two already. The first two we covered were how to worship, you know, how to worship sincerely. And you worship sincerely by understanding a little bit more who God is. And we, we, we said we do that through reading the Bible and praying. We learn more about who God is, and therefore we can uh, uh, worship Him better. Last week, Ken um, gave uh, the, the sermon on sharing your story, learning how to share your story. Basically, everyone's a preacher, not just me standing up here on, on Sunday mornings. Uh, every single person uh, is, is a preacher. And I loved how Ken uh, did all that because he talked about all of us have a different story. Most of you didn't go to Bible college and, and, and uh, spend time training in ministry and all of this, but you are every bit as effective as I am, if not more effective, at spreading the gospel to people in your lives. And here's the cool thing, because none of us are alike, we all have a unique story to tell. And if you, if you missed last week's sermon or, or two weeks ago, I'd really encourage you to get on the podcast and, and download it and listen to it, because those are two really key steps. Uh, today we're going to jump into the third step, and that's, that's the step of connecting. In other words, how do we connect with one another? So I want to kind of ask you this question. Or actually, I want, I want to build into this question first, because uh, as, as I kind of looked through this this week and kind of built this up this week, uh, as, as you look at people's stories, and again, Ken talked about this last week with our stories, I think at our core, all of us want to be known for something. We want to be known for something. Now, I'm not meaning you want to be known as, as, as this famous person with all these great accomplishments and achievements in life. I, I don't mean that, but you want to be known for something. You want to be known as helpful. You want to be known as trustworthy. You want to be known as dependable. You want to be known as, as a good this or a good that. So here's my question for you this morning. What do you want to be known for? You can answer that question yourself. What do I want to be known for? I'll let that hang out there for just a second. Think about this. What do you want to be Known for. If you're taking notes, as you think of it, jot it down. Okay? If you're not taking notes, mentally take one. <laughs> and I feel like it's only fair, since I'm asking you this, for me to answer this as well. So I can answer this question, what do I want to be known for? I'll be very honest, I'm kind of accomplishment-driven and achievement-driven in a lot of cases. So it would be easy for me to say, well, I want to be known as a um, good preacher of the Word. I want to be known as somebody who has led a, you know, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of people to Jesus. Yeah, that's what I, I could say, but really if I, if I whittle this down more, if I get a little bit more real and honest, it's a lot simpler than that. Because what I really want to be known for are three things. I want to be known as a great husband, as a great father, and I want to be known as somebody who is grateful. And that's it. Everything else is just extra. Those are the three things I want to be known for. Be a great husband, be a great father, and, and to somebody who is grateful for what he had. Now, I could say I want to be known as the most humble person ever, but that's kind of ironic, right? But here's the thing. When you answer this question, and when you get an answer of what do you want to be known for, what you will discover is that answer is actually your motivation for every choice you make in life. It, it, it funnels every big decision you make. What, where you're going to live, what you're going to do, uh, what, what kind of uh, uh, house you're going to have, what kind of car you're going to drive. It, this even funnels down to the th- what you're going to say, what you're going to post on social media. I mean, every single decision that you make is driven by the answer to that question. What do I want to be known for? And, and specifically, too, what do I not want to be known for? Those are the things you're not going to say. You're not going to post on social media. 
You're not going to share with other people. So this question, what do I want to be known for? It leads to a discovery that I think we're all seeking. It leads you to kind of go to this statement, who I want to be. So what do I want to be known for kind of leads to who do I want to be. And if you're here today, if you've been coming to church for any length of time, then, then we'll take this a step further. If this is kind of a first time for you, then maybe you'll get to this step. But who I want to be really becomes who God wants me to be. That's what all of us are trying to figure out. If you're following Jesus, if you're trying to become more like Jesus, the, the statement is who God wants me to be. But here's the problem. If, if, if a lot of you are like me, where we are is actually way down there. So there's who I am trying to get to who God wants me to be. That is the Christian walk in a nutshell, okay? Where we start from and where we end up should not be the same, right? And you notice there's that big gap in the middle. And, and here's kind of the problem is we, we think about this, we're like, okay, well, how can I get this? How can I figure this out? How can I grow? This is a growing experience, right? I need to change who I am to get to who God wants me to be. So how do I grow? How do I fix this? And here's the thing, the answer to this it's not just you, okay? It's not just you. Now, it's easy to assume that because all across society today, we have uh, self-help books and videos. I'm sure there's a TED Talk for whatever's going on in your life right now, okay? You could look at these and read these and listen to these, and, and you, could, you could listen to all of this stuff and easily try to isolate yourself to fix the issue because that's kind of what we're taught to do in a, in a way, Right? See, here's, here's kind of the issue. At the risk of sounding unpatriotic, sometimes as a Christian, being an American is not a good thing. Here's what I mean by that. Hear me out before you start throwing stuff at me. Here's what I mean. What is it that we're raised and taught to be as Americans? Independent. What are some things that, that we teach ourselves? What are some things we pride ourselves on? Being a self-made man. Picking yourself up by your bootstraps. Those are bad things, Right? I'm not, not, not knocking on those, but those are also not exactly the way God laid it out for us. I mean, we have these iconic heroes like the Lone Ranger. But see, here's the thing. When it comes to us as followers of God, we weren't created to be independent Lone Rangers. We weren't created to be self-made men and women. We weren't created to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. That why, that's why the answer to get from where you are to where you want to be and where God wants you to be is not just you. There's much more to that. So I could say, well, what's the answer? Now, if you were raised in Sunday school, you know the answer, right? What's the answer to every question in Sunday school? Jesus. Who created the world? Jesus. Who loves you more than anyone? Jesus. What's your favorite color? Jesus. I mean, that's the answer to every question in Sunday school. If you didn't get raised in Sunday school and have flannel graph on the wall, I'm sorry, you missed out. <laughs> flannel graph Jesus could fix everything. Amen. That's right. But here's a catch, okay? Because to truly grow, hear me out, to truly grow from who you are to who God wants you to be and created you to be, it actually takes more than just Jesus. There's a little bit more to that, and that's what we're going to unpack a little bit today. If you've got a Bible and you, and you want to follow along, we're going to be right at the very beginning of your Bible. Genesis chapter 1, if you want to turn there. 
If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you're probably at least familiar with this account because this is the account of God creating the world. Almost anybody, whether they know the Bible or not, can quote the first few words in the beginning. God created the heaven and the earth. I love that because in like every single translation of the English language, that verse is the same. But as you look through this, I'm just going to kind of recap this a little bit. Six days, God creates things. He rests on the seventh day, right? But as he's creating these, he gets through the first couple of days, and then he gets to the third day. And from the third day on, every time he creates something, it's followed with this statement from, from verse 10. And God saw that it was what? Good. God saw that it was good. And, and this is repeated five more times. In fact, the last time it says he saw that it was very good. God saw that creation was good. There was a goodness in it. Then you flip over to chapter 2 of Genesis, and you see that all these things he created now begin to grow. Look at verse 5 of, of chapter 2. It says, Now no shrub had yet been uh, appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. So God's preparing something. He's preparing this earth that he's now created. Because then he steps into his greatest creation. Verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into the nostrils the uh, breath of life, and the man became a living being. And so man comes out, and man walks and worships God, and man works the ground, and man uh, has all of these responsibilities to do. He names all the animals that were created. He basically makes himself, or God makes him the master over everything. But then God comes to a realization. This always gets me when I read this, that God, the creator of everything, came to a realization. Like, how did he not already know this? He's God, right? But he comes to this realization. In verse 18, he discovers that not everything is as good as it should be. Look at verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. Now often... (laughs) A lot of single guys like to look at this verse and go, amen. After all, I think I've used this in almost every wedding I've ever done, you know, as, as a lead-in to this. But what's God saying here? I mean, it's, it's plain and simple. There's, you don't need to break this verse down. It's not good for man to be alone. That's what he's saying, plain and simple. You don't have to have a Bible college degree and exegete the text to figure that one out. That one's just straight up, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, this is where all the introverts in the crowd revolt. Of course, we do it silently. (laughs) But all the introverts are like, oh, I I disagree. You're not saying it because as introverts, we're also passive-aggressive, so you're not going to say it out loud. But you're like, no, 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 I, I need to be alone. Because as introverts, yeah, we need some time to be alone. Now, people often say, how in the world are you introverted? Introversion has nothing to do with whether you talk a lot and you're outgoing. It has to do with how you recharge your batteries. And for me, and for introverts, to recharge, we need solitude. Extroverts need people. I have a couple of friends, extreme extroverts. They wear me out. If they are alone for more than 10 seconds, they're going nuts. Okay? I'm like, dude, enjoy it. It's called, it's called silence. It's nice. Introverts, you know, to to recharge, we go out into nature, get away from everything. 
These guys want to go to a coffee shop where it's just loud and everything, like they go down to the Dutch house or something where it's just loud and you can't even hear yourself think, which is always a weird phrase, right? How do you hear yourself think? But that's beside the point. (laughs) But here's the thing, introverts. We weren't created to be alone. So don't don't confuse that short-term need for solitude with our long-term creation and design for community. Because that's how we were wired. That's how we were designed. And in fact, I honestly believe that if you want to grow, you need to be in a Jesus-based, Jesus-focused community. In fact, uh, the, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, he worded it this way, a very famous verse in Proverbs 27, when he says, iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Notice what he doesn't say there. Iron sharpens iron, so just you by yourself, and a little bit of Jesus on the side sharpens another. No, one person sharpens another. You need that person in your life. You need those people in your life. Growth simply cannot happen alone. Don't believe me? Think back in your life and think how often you have gotten better at something with nobody else helping. Nobody else at all. How many of you played sports? Team sports specifically, okay? Think about how that team functioned together, right? The best teams, like good teams, are pushed and driven by good coaches, but the best teams are pushed and driven by each other, by the other athletes on the team pushing and challenging each other, making each other better. Even an individual sport, maybe, maybe you're a golfer or a tennis player or you run track, okay, even those sports... You're not going to fully get better without a coach. Okay, you're not, not going to fully get better. Like, like golf's a great example. I can watch people all day long on, on TV or, or on a video, and, and I think that I'm changing my swing like theirs, but unless I've got somebody watching me do it, critiquing me, saying, no, here's what you need to do, I'm not going to get better. It always takes someone else. It takes a group. Uh, think, think about this. If, if we don't need people to grow and get better, then we don't really need school teachers, do we? Kids will figure it out on their own. Well, you don't really need me up here. You guys can figure it out on your own. Probably shouldn't say that out loud. You guys might get rid of me and just figure it out on your own. I'm not going to tempt you there. But even, even like the Apostle Paul, right? Okay, Paul has like the most unique story because he's on his way to go kill some Christians, which sounds... Interesting. And Jesus, boom, meets him right in the road, right? On the way to Damascus. Changes him, turns him around like that. He's got the most unique calling of anybody. Okay, I mean, I can't describe exactly the calling that Jesus put on my heart to go go into ministry. It wasn't that abrupt, I can tell you that. Okay, he didn't meet me square in the road, blind me for three days, and, and change everything about the way I was doing things. But even in that, what's the very next command Paul gets? Go into this town and hang out with this guy named Ananias and stay with him for a while. He's going to teach you what you need to know. And then Paul gets into ministry and he's always, always partnered up with other people. He starts off with a guy named Barnabas and then he moves on to a guy named Silas and then a guy named Timothy. He's always got somebody else there with him and he has other people with him as well too. Like you think about uh, Luke who wrote a large part of our New Testament. He was with Paul on his team, follower of Paul. And so here's kind of the thing that I think we need to understand is, is that God's work in you, God's work in me, it, it grows in community. It grows when we're gathered together with other people 
also following Jesus, also figuring this out as we go. But here's the catch, and this is something that I think is hard to figure out, it's hard to maybe grasp and, and realize sometimes. This, this isn't community. Now hear me out, because some of you are going to disagree with me, but this right now, right here, what we're doing, isn't community. It's great, yes. It's necessary, yes. But is it community? No. This is a crowd. This is a crowd. Now maybe, maybe and hopefully you do this, you, you grab a few minutes of community before and after we, we're done here. But think about it. What is this morning comprised of? You came in here, and once the music started, where was your focus? Right up here, right? You know, you're focusing on God. You're worshiping. That's great. That's necessary. But you're not able to interact with people around you. And I, like, you might lean over and whisper something to the person next to you. I've sat in those seats far more than I've stood up here. I know how it goes. Some of you, five minutes in, you're already lost and bored, and you're on your phone. Been there. Okay. I'm one of those that when I'm up here, like 55 minutes, an hour just clicks by. When I'm out there after five minutes, I'm like, dude, wrap this up. I got places to be. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> but that's, that's what we're doing, right? You're an audience. I'm not saying I'm a, a, a performer, but your focus is up here. You're listening. Again, these are necessary. These are good. These are great. But there's not interaction. There's not necessarily true community. This is a crowd. And crowds don't equal community. Okay? This is where small group ministry comes into play. This is why we have small groups, why we have home groups. Because what takes place there simply can't take place here. And vice versa. Vice versa. They're both vital. They're both important. They're both necessary. And I know some people think this is some new like church trend, like some new 21st century fad that churches are imploring. Because I know I grew up, we didn't have these. We had Sunday school, but we didn't have small groups. Okay, but it's like, like, well, this is just some new church fad. No, Jesus did this. Okay, the very first church that ever existed in Acts chapter 2 did this. It's not some fad. This has happened since the very beginning. In fact, Jesus, if you look, Jesus always followed the same pattern. Jesus taught in crowds, but he trained in, community, or in, in, in small community. Think about this. He taught thousands upon thousands of people. Incredible sermons we can read about in the Gospels. But then Jesus gets people one-on-one, two-on-one, small groups. He goes to people's houses. That's where life transformation took place. That's where he changed, like the woman uh, at the well. That's where he changed, like Nicodemus. Okay, that's where he really got a hold of people. Think about the time he spent with the, the disciples, that group of 12. That was a break-off of his groups of, of thousands. Okay? And then from that group of 12, even like the group of three, you know, the, the, the inner circle of James and John and, and Peter. See, it's, it's in smaller settings that Jesus truly poured into the lives of others. And then as Jesus left the earth, the apostles followed this pattern. Acts chapter 2, we, we see this. Peter launches the church by preaching to literally thousands of people. And it says that thousands and thousands were, were, were gathered that day and thousands joined the church that day. I mean, the original church was a mega church, okay? If you don't like big churches, you wouldn't have liked the very first church, okay? But that wasn't all there was. It wasn't just meeting together at that one event. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says this, day by day, attending the temple together, they're like going to church, 
going to Sunday morning worship, breaking bread in their homes. That's a small group. That's a meal together. That's life together. That's fellowship together on a separate venue. They received their food and they ate with glad and generous hearts. So right there from the very beginning, we see the pattern set up. Corporate worship together. That's what we're doing here in a crowd. And then smaller gatherings of fellowship and growth together. In other words, the very, from the very beginning, I, I believe this was the pattern, and I believe this is our pattern we should still follow today, that large groups, these are for inspiration, and small groups are for transformation. I really doubt that anything I say here today just completely changes your life all the way around. My hope every single Sunday when I'm up here is that something I say, you're like, hey, wait a minute, I want to know more about that. I want to get a little bit more interest. I'm, I'm interested. I want, to, I want to find out more about that because then that leads to transformation. That leads to a conversation that can lead to a relationship that can lead to transformation. So in other words, large group for inspiration, small group for transformation, what that means is that circles are better than rows. When it comes to growing and becoming more like Jesus, circles are better than rows. What are you setting in right now? Rows. Now think about this for a second. Why, why is this perspective, circles are better than rows? Why, why is that true? What do you see right now? Me and the back of somebody's head. And that's about it. You might, again, you might lean over and whisper to the person next to you. That's okay. I keep track. I can see who's doing it. <laughs> Got tally marks in my office. But I mean, you're just, it's like a quick thing back and forth. You're not having a conversation. What do you do when you have somebody over for dinner? When you have somebody sitting in your living room with you? You're sitting around a table. You're sitting around a room. You're looking people in the eye and you're, you're asking questions and they're answering. Or they're asking questions and you're answering. You're building upon each other's thoughts. That's a conversation. That's how you grow. That's how you get to know people better. Don't believe me? Think back to when you were dating. Some of you, this is a long time back, but think back to when you were dating. Where did you get to know your spouse better? In a movie theater or in a restaurant? Sitting there beside each other, watching a screen in the dark. Maybe you were watching the movie. I don't know. I'm not going to ask questions. That's between you and Jesus, okay? I can tell you this, like Jennifer and I love to go watch movies. We don't really get to know each other better during movies. The only conversation is when she leans over going, who's that? I'm like, shut up and watch the movie. You'll figure it out. What's happening now? Is he the good guy? Finally, I just scoot over like three chairs. Like, <laughs> set by somebody I don't even know because they're not going to talk to me, right? But you think about it, you go to dinner you're going to sit there for maybe like 20 minutes before you get your food. Because you're going to sit down. If you're like Jennifer and I, it takes you an hour just to order. Okay? And then they bring you your food. You've got time. We set our phones off to the side. We just, we're sitting across from each other. We can look at each other's eyes. We can have a conversation. We get to know each other better. Right? Circles are better than rows. When you're in a circle, you're an observer. I'm sorry, when you're in a row, you're an observer. When you're in a circle, you're a participant. Think about that when it comes to growing more like Jesus. 
So maybe you're like, okay, well, you got me intrigued. What are your groups like? What are these home groups you speak of? Well, first off, if you're a home group leader in here, would you raise your hand? I know we've got a few of you guys in here. Okay, you can kind of look around. You can see Bruce over here and Shirley and uh, Ed and M and Jeff and Jim and Kim and Joel and Jeannie and Jared and Jess. Did I miss anybody? Ron and Pam. Ron and Pam. I'm just kidding. So we've got our home group leaders. We've got several groups. They meet throughout the week. They pick a night that works best for them, and they meet. What do they do? They get together for like an hour to two, somewhere in that range, and they come together. Sometimes they share a meal. Sometimes they share snacks. They'll have some sort of Bible study. They'll have a time of prayer. Mostly they'll have a time of just fellowship, relationship building. Sometimes they get crazy and they pull out the oils and the snakes and they do all this cool stuff that uh, they don't, uh, I find out about later and I'm just kidding. Only one of our groups does that. And I'm not going to tell you which one. You got to figure it out on your own. I'm kidding about that part too. But that's what they do. And then sometimes as a group, they go do stuff together. Like, like some of our groups have uh, got the van out and gone over to the coast for a day and just hung out. They do life together. That's how you grow. That's how you build relationships. But here's the thing, and I can already, I can already hear you coming if, if you're somebody who hasn't or refuses to join a small group. I can, I can hear the excuses and the hurdles already because I've heard them many times already. They're common, and everybody has the same ones. Here's, here's your first excuse, the one I hear the most. I don't have enough time. Let me in on, uh, let you in on a little secret here. Regardless of anything in your life and anything in my life, you know the one thing we all have in common? We all have 24 hours in a day. We all have seven days in a week. I forgot the math on that, so I'm not going to try to tell you how many hours are in a week, but you can multiply it really quick if you want. You know how much of your week is spent in here each Sunday morning? Assuming we stick to an hour, which we normally don't because I'm rambling, 0.6% of your entire week is spent right here in this room. 0.6%. Less than 1%. And if, if I go long, we go an hour and a half. Let's say, let's say we go two hours. 1.2% of your entire week is spent right here. Okay? Now let's give it, you give probably somewhere between a quarter and a third of your week asleep. Okay? Most of us do that. If you're working, there's probably another quarter to a third of your week working, maybe even more. But we all have some level of free time. Here's my question. What do you value the most with your free time? What do you do first with your free time? Because that tells me what you prioritize in your life. That tells me what's most important in your life is what you do with your free time. Now let me ask you this question. How many of you enjoy... Or you would say, I value or I prioritize arguing with my spouse in your life. Ron raised his hand. <laughs> Didn't think I saw, but I saw. <laughs> How many of you enjoy being angry with other people in your free time? You have to, it's part of the job. <laughs> <laughs> How many of you enjoy getting in political arguments on Facebook in your free time? Like, that's what you would rather do more than anything else. 
How many of you followers of Jesus would honestly say, I want to be more like Jesus more than anything else in my life? I hope all of you are raising your hand. So let me ask you a simple question. What is one extra hour from your week that you could go to a small group, that you could get involved in the lives of other people who are trying to become more like Jesus and grow with them compared to what? Watching one extra episode of a show, having that much more time on your phone, having that much more time to do some yard work. I'm not trying to make fun of your hobbies. I'm really not. I have hobbies just like you do. I do them to get my mind off of things. I, I get that. But what is most important in your life? Second excuse is this. Small groups are intimidating. Okay, they can be. They can be. If you're new, new to the church, you're new to the faith, it can be intimidating. Well, they're going to make me pray, and I don't like to pray out loud. They're going to make me read the Bible. No, we're not. You might get encouraged to, but you're never going to get forced to. And I understand this too, especially if somebody says, will you pray? Because there's always one person in each group who prays and it's like, you know, they've got a direct line to Jesus and so they use really big words and they talk in kind of this different tone of voice than they normally talk in. God, we thank thee for this day. <laughs> they sing. I don't, why do they sing? Why do they sing certain words in their prayer? But, you know, that's, I mean, you just, you just be who you are. Because the thing you need to realize is you're coming to this group to grow, just like everybody else in this group is coming to grow. None of us have it all figured out, no matter how much we fake that we actually do. Here's the, the third excuse. Well, I tried a group once and it didn't work. Okay, try another group. How many of you have gone to a restaurant, you didn't like it? Did you ever go back to another restaurant? You wore a pair of shoes that didn't fit right. Did you never wear shoes again? No, you just tried something different. Okay? I've got brands of shoes I won't wear because they don't fit my feet the right way. But I've tried them. I didn't give up on shoes. Okay? I'm an odd build. Okay? Like, it's hard for me to find clothes that fit me the right way. So when I find clothes and they don't fit, do I just give up on clothes? No, I go find some that fit. <laughs> not sure if I should have my feelings hurt or not on that. <laughs> glad, I can, uh, glad I can meet your expectations of being clothed. <laughs> try, try another group. You try one, it didn't work, try another one. Again, we've got them that meet different nights of the week. We've got them that are kind of different age brackets and age groups, people in different parts of life. You can find one that fits you. Here's the, the fourth one, and this might be the most dangerous excuse, is I'm good. I don't need people around me. Maybe you are for a bit. But eventually, you'll need people around you. There's an old Zambian proverb. I love this. It says, when you run alone, you can run fast. But when you run together, you can run far. That's true. If you're trying to train for speed, somebody alongside you might slow you down. But if you're trying to run for distance, you need somebody there to encourage you. I do. If I just go run by myself, I'll run, come back home. A couple weeks later, I'll try it again. If we've got somebody pushing me, I might do it every day. Uh, those of you who know me know I don't run, so that's beside the point. But life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. So many of you know this. And, and here's the thing, community, it, it, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like a savings account or a retirement account. You might not need it today, but one of these days you will, and if you've not invested in it when you need it, it's not going to be there. 
If I start right now not putting anything into a retirement account, and then I get into uh, my, my upper ages, and I decide I think I'm ready to retire, and I've never invested anything, I'm not going to be able to retire. I just have to go find a different job. Start investing in community. Now it will be there for you when you need it. Hebrews chapter 10. Great passage. The writer of Hebrews says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Think about this with home groups. Home groups are kind of like your first line of defense in spiritual warfare. And what do I mean by that? I mean, as, as, as the leadership of this church, we're a small group, and there's a lot of people. And it's hard for us to keep up with every person here. But when you're plugged into a home group that's got a dozen people, it's easy for them to keep up with you. You get sick, they, they're, they're right there. Quicker than we can get there. Easier than we can get there. And then they can let us know. It's, it's, like, it's like an easy way to just keep everybody kind of in the loop. You are sharing community. You are sharing life. And many of our groups would tell you they have become like family. In some cases, closer than actual blood relations. These are people that they have invested life with. These are people that they look now and say, I don't know if I could do life without them. I see people who are plugged into our groups right now nodding their heads. So here's my challenge to you. Invest in the community. Connect to the community. Find a group and connect to it. You've got those connection cards there that came in your bulletin. We put that phrase connection on there for a purpose. Yes, you can use this as a prayer card and, and, and put your prayer request on there. And we encourage you to do that. But that's also a way for you to say, I'm really interested in getting more plugged into a community here. So write on there that you're interested in getting into a group. If you've got a certain night of the week or evening of the week that works better for you, put that on there too. If you want one close to where you live, put your address on there. We'll see what we can do. Okay? We want to help you get plugged in to the community. We want to help you get plugged in because that's where you will truly grow. This is where you worship. We want to help you grow, become more like Jesus. So your takeaway, I think, is already flashed up there. If you've never done this before, commit to joining a home group and try it out for at least a month. Okay? Maybe, maybe if you want to, want to step it up, do it for the rest of the fall. Okay? Do it until Christmas. Just try it. Try it. I don't care how opposed you are, try it. And then if you come back after that long and you can explain why, <laughs> well, it didn't work for me, and I, I gave it a good college effort, and here's why. I don't think you'll get there, though. I think it will help you realize what you're missing in your life. The beauty of, of this, and the beauty of that passage in Hebrews 10, is that's what we are called to do. We are called to encourage one another, to push one another, to challenge one another. See, I would say that this, this, this applies to coming to God with, with maybe a, a messy past or a messy history. We say God loves you just like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Well, that even applies to those of you who have accepted him as your savior. He wants you to become more like him. He wants you to become holy, like him. And he's extended that to us through his goodness.
So if that's your next step to take, to get connected to community, take it. Take it and give it a shot. Give it a challenge. Give it a try for a couple months here. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for Jesus. We're thankful, Lord, that we are not only welcome into his community, Lord, but we are, we are, we are challenged and we are called to be in his community. So God, I pray today that, that we would all feel that desire and that burden, Lord, to join groups. We would feel that desire and that burden to invest more of our time with you by spending time with your people. God, and if, if any one of us has had a bad experience, Lord, I would pray that we would be just released from that so that that wouldn't, that wouldn't hinder us anymore. That wouldn't hamper us anymore from joining with other brothers and sisters. God, but we would realize instead that by joining with other brothers and sisters, Lord, we are going to find that we are not in this race alone. That God, as we are walking, each of us are walking on our path with you, somebody else is walking on their path, and their path sometimes runs right alongside ours. And they might be facing the same trials and struggles that we are, or maybe they've already faced them, or maybe they're about to face the ones we've already faced, and we can be an encouragement to them. God, we would not look on the obstacles and excuses and hurdles, but God, we would look at the opportunities and the promises of being together with a group focused on you. God, I pray today, and I, I, I thank you for our group leaders. I thank you for their commitment. God, for, for uh, their desire to bring people closer to you. Lord, for the time that they sacrificed to put in, preparing their homes, preparing food, preparing a lesson. God, I thank you for that. Lord, we just pray today for this body. God, as, as, as we, we come together, Lord, anybody who is hurting, anybody who is, is struggling, Lord, they would be drawn in. Drawn into a group of people ready to love them like you do and show them your love more and more. God, we're so thankful for Jesus and we pray in his name.